0: In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talk to Matt Bielman, the CEO of Netlify, about the architecture behind the Netlify dashboard, which is probably one of my absolute favorite apps that I get to interact with on a daily basis. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 122. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio podcast. I'm your host Adam Wadden, and today it's my pleasure to be speaking with Matt Bielman, who is the CEO of Netlify. How's it going, Matt?
1: Good. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you actually, because um, Netlify is sort of my go-to uh, kind of example application when I want to just kind of see what I fe- what I feel like. Um, how good an app can actually feel to use on the internet. And I know like your core product at Netlify is creating an incredible sort of hosting and deployment experience for people building all sorts of uh, modern websites. But I think something that I haven't seen anyone um, talk about at least in detail is sort of the Netlify dashboard and web app itself, because it's, it's, it's truly an, an amazing experience. It's probably my favorite um, app that I interact with on a daily basis. So um if it's uh, all good with you, I thought it would be really interesting to sort of do a deep dive into sort of how it all works and how you guys have made it um, as excellent of an experience as it is.
1: Absolutely, and thank you so much for the for the kind words. That's uh, that's that's really encouraging to hear, um, especially from for the team that's actually put in a lot a lot of that work of of building out the the UI and the application.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I guess maybe the best place to start um, as far as I have been told by the people at Netlify that I spoke to when sort of trying to arrange this conversation, you were the one who initially broke ground on like the the dashboard sort of web app application. Am I right in thinking that? Yes,
1: uh, yes, that's that's true. So Netlify originally started out as a startup company with, with uh, me and Chris, uh, my my co-founder, uh, building the the initial version from from scratch. So um, so the very, the very very first early predecessor was uh, was BitBalloon, which was like a um a, a simpler tool in the same space, right, for for deploying front end. It didn't have the CI C D component and so on, right? And originally when 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 I bootstrapped that, it's it's started out as like a Sinatra application and then merged into a, a Rails application and 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 back then the the UI was actually built. Um in, in sort of the traditional Rails approach where, where, where the UI was part of the application and so on, right? And, and I felt that really, like I sort of kept, kept running into the constraints of that. So when we started Netlify, um, the Rails application became a pure API for just uh, doing the CRUD operations and the, and the UI got separated at first into an into a, a Angular application um that was deployed with Netlify, right? So at that point we we started really bootstrapping Netlify to build Netlify. Yeah. Um, and this was back in the Angular one days, right? Mm-hmm. So the so the very first uh, the very first iteration of of, of Netlify ran with um, an Angular front end running on Netlify talking to 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 a Rails API. And one of the fun like one one of the fun quirks of Netlify is that because we have the immutable deploy history and so on. I I can actually still go back and and
0: and, and log into the really
1: old <laughs> Angular version with a, with like Bootstrap based UI and and an Angular front-end, and it will still actually work for the basics since we've kept the API compatibility since since then. But then after we raised our our first race of our first round of funding and started building the 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 team, um, we started the the plans to rearchitect from from angular to react um that was also at the time when when angular sort of committed suicide by by launching know, a
0: yeah, version the angular 2 stuff yeah <laughs> that
1: you couldn't actually use at the time but that was completely api different it had nothing to do with angular 1 and left the angular 1 in a weird state and so on and um so 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 we decided to 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 move to to React. And that was sort of the time when I when I went in and did the initial sort of architectural work on like how did we then want to build that React application? Because obviously React is not as as opinionated as um as Angular One was back in the time or as some other frameworks are, are today, right? Like um, Especially in the early days, uh, it, it was sort of more of like this is a component layer for, for, for your views, essentially, right? It gives you a virtual dome and so on. And there's some good idea around the flux architecture and so on, but there's nothing really really prescribed around how you should really build it. And so so I spent quite a while architectonically looking into like how, how, how can we how can we build this in the in, in, in the best way. And and for our app, we we sort of settled on an on an approach with um, that's based on Redux. Um, uh, of course, React React Router uh, was the was the tool we used at the same, and, and and then React for the for the views. And started out like um, with a pretty clear separation, like always trying to separate the this idea of separating containers from pure presentational components. That was something we started like being being pretty strict about initially. Um, so the idea here is that that if you can take the actual UI and turn it into to pure components that doesn't depend on any like on any connection to a state manager or anything like that, right? Like pure components that just take some props and then do their thing. Mm-hmm. Then, then it becomes much easier to sort of isolate those and work on them in, in isolation. And in the beginning, we just did it by sort of isolating it ourselves. Later on, we, we, one of our developers introduced Storybook and, and today we're, we really like we're fairly religious uses of, of Storybook. We, we even have a public Storybook. So, so if you're curious about all the Netlify components, you can go to com, and you'll actually see the full, the full set of components for our front end. Right? that's awesome. and that became to a to 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 a development workflow where um, once we worked with with our product designers and 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 they had like uh, suggested a new component, development would always start in storybook essentially, right so so rather than starting to hook everything up to APIs and everything, we'd start by isolating those display components and say like, okay. Let's let's build out these visual components in in a storybook. Let's make sure that that story doesn't just contain the the good paths, but also the error states and the and the failures and the empty states and the and and all and the loading states. Right. This is another thing I can I can talk a little bit bit later. Right. But but basically we 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 really started isolating those those presentational components and, and building them on their own.
0: And then having
1: like the the container p- components being being the ones that wouldn't really contain any like markup or anything like that, but would just like connect to the to the redux store, essentially dispatch events, make sure that that they, that we hooked up. At a point, one of our our developers, Irene, then then introduced sort of a further distinction between pages, containers and and pure presentational components. So you sort of when you look at our code page, you'll need you'll you'll know that if you're looking for like the top level deploy page, you should look in the the, the in the pages folder and you, you will find that one. That that's what will be hooked up to the router and that's what will determine sort of the top level what what gets loaded and so on. And that page will then typically compose a set of containers that gets the right data from the store, and then on their end. Compose a set of pure presentational components that 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 shows the 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 actual view
0: got it so um do you mind explaining a little bit more about this concept of like a a container component is that a term that uh, you guys just used to describe that or is that a sort of well established name for like a pattern in react
1: so i've 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 seen it the like it's 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 not it's i can't take credit for that in, invention um we we've seen it around some of the early just like it was probably quite used around like the early days of uh, of of redux and so on right um but the the idea sort of the idea became just finding a naming convention to distinguish between things that are actually visual ui components right um and then and then really saying like the visual UI should just be a, a, a tree that from the top sort of takes some props and, and, and renders a, a version of the UI, right? And if you change any of those props, you will re-render with the virtual dome. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of all just pure, like, not connected to APIs or async operations or anything like that. Um, so if you keep that part of the, the, the tree, like, never connected to the redux store never never using like react context and stuff like that then it becomes very easy to reason about and it becomes very easy to iterate on that UI part in in isolation in something yeah. like right it becomes very easy to feed it a set of props and see how does it behave how does it look like right and then there's another part of the app that's really the the state management part of the app right that's sort of like if you if you imagine the app as just a, a, a an abstract state tree, right? Like where you talk to an API, you get some data, you keep it in 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 memory, you send some update, you you mark somewhere that something is loading, you get back data and so on, right? Like that's sort of the whole operations of your application, right? Like that's the stuff that's actually doing things, like mm-hmm. loading things from our APIs that's telling the API that a new site should be created and so on. Right. And, and our goal with the separation from containers and, and components was to keep that whole part of the application that actually, um, that that's that's about doing things and loading things and managing state completely separate from the part of the UI that's like the actual, like, how does things
0: look like, right? So something I guess, like, would maybe be helpful to help people sort of understand how you use this approach. And, you know, if if at any point we're sort of like mixing up timelines or something or things have changed in different ways, please point it out to me. But I, maybe it'd be interesting to talk about just like an example of a simple piece of the Netlify um, UI and talk about what sort of pieces are there. So I think like a, an obvious place to start for, for me anyways, is it's just like that main uh, sites list page that you land on after you log into your Netlify account. Um, so this is like a piece of the app that, of course, it has to get this list of sites f- from somewhere and then it has to display this list. And then I'm guessing probably each row in this list is maybe a separate component as well. So is there like a container for every presentational component or does a container just wrap up sort of maybe a group of presentational components? How how do, what, what would this piece of the app sort of look like using this um, approach to separating you know, sort of the stateful components from just like the pure presentational components.
1: Yeah. So um so one of the fun things is that if if you go to storybook.netlify.com, there will be a, a story that's called sites. And that story has an index, which is the 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 index, right? So under that you'll find all of the presentational stuff, right? That doesn't depend on 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 our API or anything like that. And you'll see that there's like an initial state called loading, which is when we are showing that index and and we don't have any data yet. This is part of like this is part of an important pattern, right? Of always trying to get some element that that looks visually like what you are going to see once once things load in front of the user, right? Because it gives that feeling of of responsiveness, right? Like something 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 showed up. It's also one of the things that that in my mind, like th- this is. This is one of the things that you can do much better when you, when you don't try to do something like an isomorphic app or something like that, right? Because by, by just getting an application shell into the browser from a CDN really fast and then getting these kind of loading components in front of the user, you, you get like a very instant experience, right? And then you'll see that there's different stories, like a story for with one site, how, how does this index page look like with several sites and so on, right? and that's just an example of, of feeding different um, different props down to down to this this presentational component that then has a tree now on the data loading side of things we'll have a, a a sort of master component that we call a page so we'll have like in in our pages directory we'll have a sites page and that's that page if if like now i'm here looking at the code for that it's sort of it it doesn't have any HTML as such, right? Like it just um, sets up a connection to the Redux store and then it loads a sites container and also uh, in a, a small detail that you'll only see the first time you log into Netlify, which is some onboarding slides that will show up on that screen the first time you come in, right? Now that sites container that's that's a container component that actually knows where should it like how how should it get data for for the sites, right? So so the container is is the one that will um, dispatch a, a load sites action in the Redux store, right? And it will it it will also um, keep track sort of on whether the sites have been loaded yet, um, whether like it will keep track of the pagination. Um, It'll make sure that there's a current account selected and so on, right? But again, if you look at the code for that uh, container, it's very free of anything that that looks like markup or anything, right? Because it's really just a, a, a container that connects to Redux and and loads um and and loads a bunch of and and basically tells Redux, right? It dispatches some initial actions in parallel, saying like you need to fetch the account, we need to make sure that we get the list of sites and so on, right? And then based on that, it can basically just set up the right props for this component you see in Storybook, right? And that component knows like, okay, the prop loading is set. So I should just be showing like the the placeholder or the prop loading is no longer set but we have an error message so i should be showing an error because we failed to load from the api or we actually managed to fetch, fetch a list of sites and and now you can show them right? and it. then since we yeah and then since those actions right like those actions is what will dispatch an api call um talk to our api and then get back a list of sites and then put them into the redux store but that also means that if you've already like gone to that site dashboard and then gone into a site, that site has already been loaded into the Redux store, right? So when you go to that actual site, we don't need to load the basic site information again, right? Like it's already present in the Redux yeah. store under the site ID. So that's another important pattern, this pattern of caching in memory, the the stuff we, we, we load with, um, with their unique IDs in the system,
0: right? Got it. Makes sense. Yeah. So it sounds like if I'm understanding correctly, the sites container component is sort of responsible for rendering the actual um, pure UI component. So it's it's not like it accepts children or anything necessarily from the page component. It sort of controls which pure components should be rendered inside of it and kind of arranges them how they need to be and feeds the process to them.
1: Think, let, me, let, me, let me check how this is about because I think actually in this case, yeah, in this case, we 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 fetch like just the containers instantiate the site, and then the, the site container is currently the one that 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 knows that uh, the knows which um, which pure presentational component should go inside. We do also have some cases where where we have containers that doesn't accept like children, where the containers are just responsible for for data loading and then feeds those down to the children. But in this main site, in in this page list, listed is the container itself that knows like what what should go inside.
0: Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Cloudinary. So if I had to describe Cloudinary myself, it's basically just the best way to store and serve images that I've ever seen. In the past, I used to use generic storage services like Amazon S3 to store and serve images. Uh, But after switching to Cloudinary, I genuinely cannot believe I ever did this stuff any other way. Uh, So here's one example of how Cloudinary has made my life easier. Uh, So you probably know that typically images are the head resource your users have to download when they visit your site right? Usually way more than your JavaScript or CSS. So in the past I would spend a lot of time tweaking settings and tools like Image Alpha and Image Optim to try and optimize my image files so they weren't as large. Uh, with Cloudinary I can just upload the full resolution file without even really thinking about it and then by just adding a parameter to the image URL that I get back, uh, when I go to serve it on my site Cloudinary will automatically optimize that image as best as it can usually resulting in file size Sizes that are actually lower than what I was seeing when trying to optimize the images by hand. Uh, this is even more useful for like user uploaded images because instead of trying to do some fancy automatic image optimization in a background job on my own server or something, I can just send those images directly to Cloudinary from the browser, uh, request the optimized version back by adding that URL parameter, and bam, I've got an optimized image at a really small file size. Uh, so there's an enormous amount of other cool stuff that you can do through the URL-based API. That's really just scratching the surface, but you can do stuff like request images at different sizes so you can serve smaller images on mobile devices, so you're not wasting bandwidth. Uh, you can crop images to different dimensions. You can crop images using face detection, so just crop to the faces in an image. Uh, you can automatically add watermarks or text overlays or tons of different effects and stuff like that. It's a seriously impressive service. So Cloudinary has an amazing free plan where you can store 300,000 images and videos. Yeah, did I mention you can do all this crazy stuff not just with images, but also with videos too. Uh, you get 10 gigabytes of storage and 20 gigabytes of monthly bandwidth on this free plan uh, so if you're not already using them definitely head over to cloudinary.com and check it out it really is one of my absolute favorite services that i use on my own projects thanks a ton to cloudinary for sponsoring this episode back to the show so you talked about uh, you mentioned like redux a few times here it sounds like that's sort of the core statefulness of um the netlify application i think um that would be a really interesting thing to get into because I know Redux doesn't really doesn't really prescribe a lot in terms of how you should be storing data, what sort of data you should be storing, what data you should be storing flattened versus like nested, and how you should be referencing related data, you know, whether you should be storing UI state like whether this navigation dropdown is open or not you know in Redux or in local component state so I think you know that's the sort of thing that I think teams end up having to figure out for themselves so I'd be interested in learning more about how you have set up that sort of stuff with uh, the Netlify app, what decisions you made, if there's any decisions you regret or things that you've learned that you would maybe do differently or, or have changed over time. So what is like the general shape of the Redux store look like for the Netlify uh, dashboard?
1: Yeah. So in general, like th- this was something I, I initially uh, spent, spend a lot of time on figuring out like, how do we, how did we want to do that? Right. And, and uh, some of it has 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 changed. It has evolved over time, of course, right? But but the core of it is still is is still fairly similar, right? What one of the early questions here was like, what what did we want to do with um, with UI state versus the actual application states? And that's for sure been been something that that we that we went back and forth on 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 trying to figure out, like what's the What's the best approach there, right? And and I would say, like in general, in our app, in this also plays into the to the storybook part of it, right? Like in in general, we try to 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 keep local UI state in in the state of the presentational components, and and the state that goes in the Redux store is essentially the state that's related to to fetching data from somewhere, right? So so it's the main user object it's the site lists, um and uh, it's the it's it's anything that's that's actually related to external data and to the to the app data and not and not the ua UI, ui state in so general
0: your Redux store almost feels like a database for the front end app basically yeah
1: yeah it it basically does and that that's it that's a good way to to think about it a lot of this data comes from, from our main REST APIs. Some comes from other APIs like GitHub's API or GitLab's API or a few serverless functions we use. For anything that came from, from our API. Like one, one of the things that just can be a little painful with with Redux is that like inherently you do get quite a bit of ceremony around like setting up actions and, and reducers and so on, right? And and there's limits to how much you can take that ceremony away without also getting away from the core simplicity of it, right so so we we built some um, we built some core uh, abstractions around loading data from our API that also sort of has a, an opinion on how to store that data in, 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 the, in the Redux store just so so developers don't have to take that decision every single time um, so we have like we have sort of a, a higher order of a function called um, resource actions um, again our api is a rest api right so you might have a resource in the rest terminology called sites right and you can sort of out of the box figure out that that okay um, sites will have a list action, it will have like a
0: like a show yeah, action. A show action,
1: yeah. it will have an update action, it will have a delete action, and it will have a create action. Um, so we can sort of like create a set of actions and reduces that that responds to all of those standard actions um, of a resource. Um, and just calling so so just calling resource actions with, for example, sites that will set up basically all of all of those base, basic actions for 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 managing the state of the resource, uh, the Redux store in the in the right way.
0: And does that include um, like setting up the ability for the Redux store to go out and fetch that state from the API and stuff as well?
1: No it 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 actually doesn't it it, it's limited to just the redox part of it um so there's still like one one step of abstraction away and we then and 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 that is part of like i i would say it's a part we keep going back and forward on like do we want to do something more magical or not but in the end we always decided that 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 even if it was a little ceremony it 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 was worth it just having to write that little like fairly simple explicit action. For example, like I mentioned the load sites action. That's like, I mean, again, the whole action is like seven lines of code, right? So it's not, it's, it's, it's not complex code because there are these abstractions, right? But, but someone does have to write it. It is a little ceremony, but, but it is, does, does give some control, right? And, um, this will basically take those pre-generated actions and, um, and trigger at first a request action that will update. Like, so once we've defined this, this these resource actions, we'll now have a, a space in our Redux store called sites. Um, and that space will follow a certain convention where we have a list of, um, we have an entity mapping basically that has like an ID to an object, ID to an object, ID to an object. And then we have a list that have um, a list of the current IDs that we have and the pagination. So we sort of separate like the actual objects we've loaded into the Redux store from the concept of a of a view into those objects in the form of a list. And that list view will also be able to say, is this list currently fetching, right? Because that that's one of the states we need to be able to show in the UI, right? Like we actually doing some work on unloading the list or refetching the list, right? So um,
0: what does the shape of that object look like in Redux? If you have basically like a key for sites and this is like an, uh, I guess it's a, an object with IDs as keys mapping to each site essentially, where is like the list of, What's currently visible, like this view information store, is that also under the sites key? Is it like a sibling to that key, organized in a different way? Or
1: um, so, yeah, the sites key will will have um, and like will be, um, and this is actually here. Here comes one of the things I would change a little today. So all all of our Redux store uses uh, immutable JS um, for for everything we store in it, right? Which is fine, um, but creates you end up having a lot of wrangling objects back and forth between immutable JS and normal JS objects, especially when dealing with React components later on, right? Um, today, I would definitively have used immer in instead of that. Okay. But that, that's sort of more of, more of, a, more of a detail. So um, right now, each, like, for example, the sites key in the Redux store will have an object that have uh, one key called entities, And entities has a map with like site ID to the site object, site ID to site object, site ID to site object. No, not necessarily ordered anything. And then the, the other thing is called, the other key is called pages. And then essentially has, has like the list of like what's it has a list of IDs and it has a current page and, and a loading state, right? So that's, that also means that for every one of these resources we have this concept of pagination built in, right? Because just about any resource you will fetch will naturally have some some limits of like how many of them can you yeah. fetch at a time, right? Mm-hmm. So that's encoded into that, that that Redux store. And then then we have some helpers to actually access a specific entity and so on, right?
0: Gotcha. So what about but it stuff also, like oh sorry, go ahead.
1: But it also means, yeah, that we split up the loading of like multiple entities or single entities. If, if, we, if you go directly to a URL for one site, right? Like then we'll call the show action for that site. We'll fetch that site and it'll go into the entity map. But we won't be adding like a, a pages list, right? That one is not there.
0: Gotcha. So what about things like related resources where you have like a site which, um, you know, at least naively has many deploys? do you have like a separate key that's at a top level in the redux store for storing deploys that's sort of stored as like basically like an identity map. So you can take maybe a list of IDs of all the deploys for this site and then look them up there. Or do you nest those directly under um, like a deploys key in the sites?
1: We, we try to avoid nesting in the, in the redux store and instead look up. um, So we'll have a list of deploys that, that, that lives under a site ID mm-hmm. and try to avoid having like a, a, like we don't want each site to have a nested list of deploys inside it, right? Because then you start getting into to a lot more state management, right? A lot of it, I, I think it, like in general, a lot of complexity in, in, in single page application is really about like, it's fundamentally about managing state, right? So Basically anything you can do to make it easier to reason about the state will tend to reduce the amount of weird state related bugs you end up introducing, right? And that's that that's I mean that's why I'm a big fan of immutable, even if by now immutable JS, like the library, is is not the one I would recommend. I would recommend Emma, right? But it's why I'm a big fan of keeping this kind of global state immutable. Um it's why I do like this idea of sort of an entity map, so 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 you don't have the same object stored in multiple places. It, like one object should sort of be stored in 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 one place. and ideally, it's also why why I really like separating like the uI state from the the sort of real application state. To again, just make it make it easier to reason about in the UI state. You can test on its own with without depending on any any kind of of, of AI uh, API.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So I think one of the other questions I have um, related to the Redux stuff, which I think is a a complex topic. So I think it's something that you've probably made some interesting decisions about. Is how you handle um, when to reuse data versus when to fetch it fresh. So you 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 mentioned that like when you load this your first sort of homepage once you log into Netlify and it kind of loads all your sites in those all get pulled into the Redux store and they're there now and if I click on one of those sites well now the name of the site and some other metadata related to it's already stored so we don't waste time fetching it again um, but at some point you have to check to see if a new site has been added from you know, another browser or a session on my laptop when I'm working on my iMac or something. Um, so what sort of challenges have you faced there and trying to kind of keep things fast while still not showing people stale data and stuff like that? What's sort of your approach been for that?
1: Yeah, it's, it's complex, as you said, right? Like, and, and it's about, it's about trade-offs and sometimes, Sometimes you can live with things like going back to a site overview and, and the site overview is there, but you do um, you you pull in the background in 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 our case it's it's not so often in our case that someone else creates a site while you are navigating and you're actually interested in that site. um what typically happens is that you create a site, right? So in the moment you do something that we know can mutate like the site list for example we can trigger a reload of 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 the sites right so is that how you do it um, do
0: you do you repull the whole list of sites when someone creates a site so it's all fresh or do you just store the local one and just like append it to the list
1: yeah actually in the case of creating a site as far as I remember we just uh, we just append the look like the new one we get back from the API to the list um but there, there, there are cases where where we do the other approach. And there's also some there's some cases where we're still working on a more generalized um, message bus internally to, to send events through a web socket to the UI, right? Where we are currently doing polling, right? So if you're viewing the deploys page or something like that, we, we currently do polling. To make sure, because one that's one of the pages where you're typically quite interested—not just in I I did something, but also contentful just started a build on my site or GitHub triggered a build and so on, right? So there, there we need to sort of continuously fetch.
0: Got it. So you're talking about if I'm on like the overview page or the deploys listing page for one of my sites, yeah, yeah. and I've done a push on my terminal, yeah, something eventually does pop up there. Hey, we noticed that yeah. you deployed your building, so you're doing yeah. that with polling right yeah. now
1: yeah right now it's pulling but one of the great things with with like that that's one of the really nice things with with redux and with the way this like of separating sort of the whole ui state from the from the uh, from the application state side of things is that that once our 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 websocket project is 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 live and we start connecting to that um it's it's a very minimal change right like if something receives like a new deploy and just adds it to the list it will show up in the ui right and yeah. the ui really doesn't have to to care at all about whether we're doing polling or whether we're doing web sockets or whether we're refetching or not refetching. all all of that just just happens um, out of the box
0: yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense so no matter what is mutating the state and redux everything is just gonna you know react accordingly so you can totally change out that implementation as ne- yeah. needed. I'm I think maybe something else that would be interesting to get into. Uh we've sort of been like talking just about the front end, but we're starting to talk more about the state management and how things are fetched um from the back end. What does it look like to actually uh fetch data from the Netlify UI from the front end? So you're talking you you mentioned for example that you might have like a load sites a uh, redux action that someone has to to write. What is your general pattern for fetching stuff from uh, the back end are using any particular, uh, tools or anything?
1: So it's, it's, it's not a, uh, like there's not a lot of tooling involved. So it, except for some abstraction, we, we, we build ourselves, uh, we're using the funks middleware for Redux. Um, we found that, that that was the one that gave us the most control over error states and like, uh, being able to set loading messages and so on. Right. Um, so the way the funks middleware in, in Redux uh, works is that an action, normally a Redux action will be synchronous and it will just return an, an object that will be passed to the reducers that will then do something to the store and get you a new version of the store essentially, right? Whereas the function actions can instead um, return, instead of returning an, 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 an object, it can return a function um, and that function um, should be able to be invoked with a dispatch like with two arguments dispatch and get state where dispatch is sort of the general uh, mechanism for dispatching more actions and get state will let you actually access the the redux state behind it. Um, so we have a small we we have a small internal uh, helper method called with API that an action can use to actually like return a, a pet, create a lamp that, that takes an API at dispatch and it gets that, it gets state. And that, that function will be invoked with like an initialized version of, of, of our internal API client. And you can then, call methods and that, and then it's up to the action to 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 follow a set of patterns where you'll typically like tell the Redux store, I'm gonna start fetching the sites. Then you'll call API.getSites. And then you'll have like, you'll await that promise or fail it, right? And if the promise goes through and you get a list of sites, you will dispatch the, I got the sites action and the Redux store will update with those, and if you instead get an exception and the API failed, you'll dispatch and, oops, the sites failed action, and the Redux store will, will in a like convention based manner, be updated to say that that there was an error fetching this. Right, and then then the UI can flow from that. Um, the API client is it itself is um is, is is very is is very straightforward. Like it's not a lot of code. It's a small. Um, it's it's a small wrapper on top of like the the fetch API in the browser that just takes care of sort of the the error handling and pagination um, and um, and and like the the core the core abstraction of, of on top of fetch is maybe like seventy lines of code or something like that. Right, so it so it's pretty lightweight in in that way.
0: Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is DigitalOcean. So, DigitalOcean is a simple, developer friendly cloud platform optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. Uh, I've personally been a customer of DigitalOcean for about five years, and I use them to host all of my server side projects, like my custom course platform, for example, which is built with Laravel. A lot of the guests that I've had on the show in the past are DigitalOcean customers as well. Uh, for example, Taylor Otwell, the creator of Laravel, he uses DigitalOcean to host Envoyer and Laravel Forge, and Jeffrey Way actually uses DigitalOcean to host Laracast as well. Uh, one of DigitalOcean's newest features that I'm personally really excited about is Managed Databases, uh, which lets you spin up a completely managed database server so you don't have to worry about anything like backups, uh, managing read-only replicas, or just general server maintenance. Now, DigitalOcean is already an extremely affordable service. You can spin up a server for as little as $5 a month, but they've been kind enough to offer a free $50 credit to full stack radio listeners. So head over to do.co slash full stack, all one word, to claim your $50 credit. And thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode. Back to the show. So, what about the actual backend API um, that you are talking to from the front end? So, you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation that everything kind of started as um, like a Rails API. Is that still the main API that powers the front end? So, the
1: main the main API is still a Rails API, yeah, a fairly traditional REST API. Um, doing typically doing a lot of CRUD actions, right? Like you create a site, you list a list of sites, you get a list of deploys. Update a site with a new name and so on, right? So, so that's that's typical. Like it's a really typical Rails API in that way. Then, then there are parts that are chipped into individual microservices, right? Like the analytics API endpoint is an individual microservice in in, in Go. Um, there's some parts that are built with Netlify Functions, so. Um, when you verify a domain name, for example, that's that's a lambda function deployed with Netlify that will do a bunch of, of of lookups to make sure to see if the DNS records have been set right or and if we can provision a certificate or not, right. Um, when you talk to when you go and provision a new site, um, the front end will will like let's say you link a new site from GitHub. Then the front end will talk directly to GitHub's APIs from, from, from the browser, right? Um, without going through our infrastructure. So, so the front end actually ends up talking to quite a few different APIs. And in general, we've, we've, we've created similar wrappers for them, right? So, so when you're using these different APIs from the actions layer, the patterns you'll use is very, very similar to when you're using our API.
0: Got it. Is the API that powers the front-end app the same API that is available for people to use publicly for their own projects integrate with L5? Cool.
1: Yeah, so that's one of the sort of guarantees you get from that, right? Like anything we can do in the front-end app, you You can can do in your API (laughs) client as well. Very cool. (laughs)
0: Um, Are you doing anything in the Rails API um, to try and like limit the number of requests and stuff that you have to make for example like i know like the json api spec has a bunch of stuff for being able to include nested resources and stuff like that have you had to do much stuff there to avoid having to make you know seven or eight api requests to get the data you need for a page
1: no it's actually interesting that that we've done very very little of that and and generally like Generally, have fairly uniform representations of objects, rather than having the client be able to ask, "Oh, I want all this nested stuff and so on." Right, and there's trade-offs to the two approaches. Right, um, one one approach will will let you get like deeply nested relational objects in one in one request, but there's a pretty big risk that that request gets very slow and very hard to cache. Right so in general we've more taken an approach of of saying um that it's better to ask for for smaller pieces of of individual information and and do a little more of the stitching on the client side but on the other hand like it 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 gives the it gives the ui the the opportunity to display something the moment it gets some of the data right which again can Again, it's all trade-offs, right? but but done right, I think it's part of what makes our UI feel more responsive, right that that we look into like do do these requests in parallel and when like even if the main account object is still loading, if you've gotten a list of sites already, just start displaying them, right and and then and then rely on 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 a design pattern of having sort of placeholders in the design that does that even that even if not all of the data is loaded yet, it it still looks like the app is there and and it's sort of ready, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's something I've always kind of worried about when trying to use an approach, like say like a GraphQL API, where you have all this flexibility in terms of, oh, I just want these two fields from this object plus like these three fields from all these nested objects. It feels like it would become very hard to reuse that information across pages without doing a lot of work on the client to actually start to like fill in the gaps in some pre-existing structure where you want to store all that stuff and i don't know if some of the existing tooling tries to make that easier and stuff but that's something that i've always thought seemed like it could make things worse in some ways than just taking a traditional approach
1: i think that's true right like i think all of these things right like when when you've been long enough Time in software development, you know that that everything you do is is a set of trade offs, right? Mm-hmm. And and some and every time you like, and yet every sort of week there's a new tool claiming to be this. This is the solution for everything, right? <laughs> it's The silver and bullet, yeah. There, there will be no trade offs, right? <laughs> like you should just do this, right? And and it tends to never really be the case, right? So of course with things like GraphQL, there, there's some really powerful pattern that 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 it enables, right? But but I totally agree. It also it can easily lure you into a sensation where you do these very like tailored, but also very expensive queries that that sort of have to finish completely before you get like anything you can show, and that then might not be reusable for the next page and so on, right? So, so I think I think the important part is being really aware of like what's your current technical limitations and how can you design around those also, right? And and how can you be careful that that you take advantage of 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 the stack you're building with. Yeah. And our front end team, right? Like that, that's really what what they've been doing an amazing job of that that makes the app feel fast and so on. It's also really to to work very closely. it's also a very close collaboration between the product design team and the front end team that's very iterative, right? And and where they'll often be pushback of like, yeah, sure design team, you want to show all this data. But then it will be slow, right? <laughs> like, yeah. can, can we can we find a way where we can load that, where where we can design things so the way we load data fits better with with how a REST API works and so on, right? Yeah. Um, and can we find places like, um, like we were just talking about building a new. A billing screen and so on right and talking about like should we make an api endpoint that returns all of this data together or is it okay to return like your subscriptions or your accounts like different even if like showing the subscriptions requires the account information but if we do the design a certain way like f- just from the account object that will probably finish loading first we'll have the balance right mm. and in many cases you might just go to that billing page to see your balance, right? So if we can show that before any of the rest of the stop loads and, and design it so it's easy to 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 make that visible first without feeling that the page jumps around or anything, right? Then 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 we might give a lot of users a much better experience than if we than if we had like a JSON API like system and, and was and had to sort of wait for all of that data to come back before we show any of it, right? Yeah. But often you don't get those advantages without a close collaboration between design and front-end.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So I have two more quick questions to get through uh, if, if we have time because I do want to be sure. respectful of your time. Um, the first one, uh, this is a question I ask everyone who comes on that I that is building a, a pure sort of JavaScript front-end application, is what is the general approach that you've used for authentication with the Netlify app?
1: Yeah, currently we're, we're, we're using... Uh, we're using oauth with netlify right so once again we we're, we're just another consumer of our own api and our api uh, offers an an oauth endpoint right so so we're essentially just going through an oauth flow storing a a, a token in in local, local storage and using that that token for for subsequent um, access
0: got it so does that mean that your api like api.netlify.com it doesn't only serve JSON like to support like this OAuth endpoint. It has to be able to it has to be capable of rendering this like HTML OAuth segment of the sort of experience.
1: It it does have a small part of the API that's that's dedicated just to the the just to that little flow you get when 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 you log in and get redirected back and forth.
0: So what happens I guess is somebody hits that screen if they're not authenticated with the Netlify uh, API is the actual sort of login form where they type in the username and password hosted on the Netlify API?
1: No, the login form itself that that that's part of the that that's part of the app and and there we do have a a, a sort of there there we do have a, a sort of specialized version for uh, for sending a, a username password and do to, uh, to a an OAuth upload based on client credentials, essentially.
0: Got it, okay, cool. And then the other thing I was gonna ask about is just, um, what do you think about like code splitting and server-side rendering when it comes to the Netlify app uh, specifically? Is that something that like you're interested in exploring with that application or are you sort of dead set against it because it chooses a different set of trade-offs than the ones that you wanna optimize for? And what's your reasoning?
1: so we we do use code splitting in in some piece we in in some parts right like uh, we we use webpack to 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 do uh, to do chunks for 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 example like um for for larger external libraries that that we use and we're working on being able to use it more but again it's a trade off, right? Like, if you do it very aggressively, then almost every page you go to will need to load some extra JavaScript, and you will feel like it feels like you are app- just
0: talking to a server yeah. for every page. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And and we don't and we don't want that, right? Like, um, so so it's more about like, for example, um, getting the charting libraries for the analytics functionality into into chunks, right? So yeah. So you so so we don't have to load like all of. All of HiChat to show your login screen and
0: things yeah, like, like that. If, if right? someone like, doesn't even isn't even paying for the analytics feature on their Netlify account, it seems wasteful to be sending them all that. Precisely, code.
1: Yeah. right? So, so it's sort of about chunking out specific libraries. Um, philosophically, we, I, I, am very skeptical about like on-the-fly server-side rendering of 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 HTML. Um, I, I think it's kind of an anti-pattern. I think it makes it, it again, like so much as this is about making things easy to reason about, right? And sometimes fetching HTML and sometimes fetching data and so on, that inherently makes things harder to reason about when you're working in the app. It makes it impossible to, it makes it harder to, to trust a tool like Storybook because, like, are you seeing the stories like client side rendered or server side rendered or could there be differences like um. Uh, what what can you access from the dorm? What can't you? Like, it's it's to me that's an it's an anti pattern, and it also typically means that you can't use a a a, a CDN for the actual like pure front end part anymore, right? Like you have to go all the way to some origin server, which globally makes makes everything really slow, right? Mm-hmm. Now you still have to do that for 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 the for the data um And uh, I'm always thinking of of ways to get around that. (laughs) But even if we think like more long-term, if we want ways to get around that, um, the more we can have like individual requests to pieces of data, the easier it is also to, to imagine being able to start caching those data responses and have a fairly high cacheability of them, right? Um, whereas again the more we, we, we take big chunks of data and maybe even merge them with, with 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 our presentation layer, the harder it becomes to think about even ways to, to cache those layers on the edge, right? So so from our long term, like where is the architecture gonna go? We tend to believe a lot in like in in in, in either in either or, right, like in either having like a statically built HTML pre-rendered sent directly from a CDN, everything is ready there, um, or having like a client in the browser that talks to endpoints that gives back data and, and, and then um, and then does the, the, the presentation of that data in, in the browser
0: on it awesome so yeah i i I don't want to take up any more of your time we've gone a little bit over time here so i think maybe it's a good time to start wrapping up but um is there anything uh that you wanted to briefly mention that you're particularly excited about that you're working on at netlify or anything that you that you'd like the audience to know about
1: him i mean we're we're really excited about the the how how the launch of our new analytics service have have been received and how that's being picked up so so we also have a, a a lot of cool things coming on, on that front. So stay tuned for that. And then we're really excited for, for the next Jamstack conference in, in San Francisco in October.
0: Very cool. What's the best way for people to sort of keep up with you and uh, the s- sorts of things that you're working on at Netlify?
1: Um, we have a newsletter you can you can s- sign up to, um, go to our website or visit our blog or um, our Twitter is is very active and uh, I'm Bealman on Twitter if you, if you want to see what I'm retweeting. <laughs>
0: awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk with me. I learned a lot about how you've uh, kind of put together this app at Netlify and I'm excited to dig into it more and continue enjoying using the product.
1: Awesome. Uh, thank you so much. And let me just stress that while I did the initial architecture, now we have a whole team that's been doing... Most of all, the amazing work you 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 actually interact with.
0: So there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Matt Beelman of Netlify. If you enjoyed this episode and want to check out the show notes, they'll be at fullstackradio.com/122. Thanks to Cloudinary and DigitalOcean for sponsoring the podcast this week, and we'll see you next time.